Our faculty and staff believe in work, hard work, and they truly exhibit a spirit that is not afraid. War Eagle. Go crazy, Cadillac! Go crazy! I mean, who don't want to come to Auburn? Oh, my God! Davis is going running all the way back! Auburn wins! We're about excellence and innovation. This is Auburn being Auburn. I believe in Auburn. War Eagle. And love it. Listen, we're a football school, but we're also an everything school. War Eagle Auburn fans, and welcome to the Everything Auburn podcast. I'm your host, Auburn Communications Director, Preston Sparks, and this is the place for learning all about the amazing people, places, traditions, and work, hard work that sets Auburn apart from the rest. Seinfeld was a show about nothing, but this is a podcast about everything, everything Auburn. With this segment, we're going to examine a new study by two researchers in Auburn's College of Forestry, Wildlife, and Environment who examined the global impact of free-ranging house cats on biodiversity, essentially assessing all of the species that these cats eat and what that means globally. We have with us Auburn professor Chris Lepchik, who along with Jean Fantelepchik conducted this study that drew from more than 150 years of data and has garnered quite a bit of national news attention. Really appreciate you being here on the podcast, Dr. Lepchik. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. All right, let's get things kicked off with that first question about how the study came about. Maybe a quick summary of its findings. Sure. Well, the study really began 20 years ago when, um, as a postdoc at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, I was following up some work I had done for my dissertation that looked at how people influence birds on their property. And that work had looked at what the impact is potentially of cats um, that would eat birds and small mammals. And so I had a nice data set and I started to think, well, other people have done this as well. And so slowly I started to compile a data set on my own, kind of on extra time when I would go and look in the library and find some really old documents. And it was also a meeting of a couple of uh, senior faculty that really were encouraging of wanting to know more about cat work. It was not something that was uh, a funded project or anything, I guess I had um, a pressing idea I would publish soon or anytime quick. And over the next two decades, I slowly built this into a larger database. And then both Gene and I spent quite a bit of time in the last five years really working with um, the library scientists here at Auburn and uh, several different statisticians that um, were former grad students here. And then the co-authors on this um, study are individuals from around the world that had done similar work, and so they shared their data with us. And it translated into something that we never envisioned when we started as being so many different species. And I know from uh, taking a look at the study and a lot of the news coverage, uh, basically cats are really good hunters, right? Yeah, so our study, um, so it's important to note, it doesn't differentiate between uh, a cat killing something or just scavenging it. And that would be true for many animals. If they encounter food in the wild and it's available, they would take that opportunity to consume it. So we do find animals that are probably larger than a cat would kill in their diet. But yeah, cats are, they're present in most locations on the planet and they're opportunistic. If there's food, they're gonna take it. All right, so let's talk about the many different species you determine that are at risk in the presence of these cats. Yeah, so um, we found that of over the 2,000 species that we identified, that about 16 to 17% of those 
fall under some classification by the International Union for the Conservation of Nature that they have some status of conservation concern. So it could be that they're vulnerable, but there are quite a few that are actually um, threatened, uh, near threatened, or on that decline to extinction. And finding those kinds of species is quite troubling because those are species that we don't wanna lose and we have great concern over. Um, and they represent a fairly large fraction of the species we found in our study. So could we just maybe delve a little further into what that means for biodiversity? Yeah, biodiversity as a whole is critical that we think about all taxa. And so when we're only looking and caring about birds or mammals, that's important, but we need to think about the totality of different species on the planet. And our study finds that cats are pretty indiscriminate. And one group that I think we were both surprised, but we actually lack a lot of knowledge on are insects and invertebrates. And I think most people, most scientists don't consider cats as a species that eats a lot of insects, but they have a lot of protein in them. They're a great food source in some locations on the planet. Insects are very common. It would be what they encounter. Um, but insects represent a foundational component to our ecosystems. So when we lose species that represent that base, it could potentially cause consequences for the species that depend on them. Our study did not look at abundance, so we don't understand the population levels of each species, but we are concerned that cats represent one more um, threat to biodiversity, um, along with many others on the planet. And so that just represents an added component of things we need to be concerned about for management. So what was the big surprise of your study? Um, aside from just the number, and, and so that number of 2,000 plus species was surprising. And this is probably one of the reasons the study kept going um, over the years was every time we found a new paper, we found new species data in it. So a big finding in the, um, the analysis was that every time a researcher was doing a study anywhere in the world, including the United States, we are almost always finding some new addition to our list. And we had over 570 studies that we looked at, and that seems very large. So if we're not getting close to that number of what total diversity is, it means that there's a lot left to know. The other surprise is really that insects and invertebrates. Those were not tacks that we thought we would find so many. And we know we really undercounted because Many scientists that are doing these studies, they're like myself, or they're focused on wildlife, so they're mostly looking at vertebrates, and they are not taxonomists um, or entomologists that really can look at all of what comprises different insect species. The other thing is that insects are soft-bodied, and we really can't do a good job identifying them in feces or stomach contents, which is where most of these data come from. All right, now I have a question. I'm not sure if this fits with your study. Uh, I'm sure a lot of cat owners though are curious about this one. Um, why outdoor cats sometimes bring their kills back to the house? Um, you know, do cats sometimes not eat what they kill? I think you touched a little bit on that just a minute ago. Cats are opportunistic. So if there's something available, they are likely to kill it. Uh, cats are pretty well known for killing things 
without eating it. And so um, we really don't know at times when they kill things and they may leave them in the wild and never bring them home. But I don't know that we have a great knowledge base of why cats bring dead animals back to uh, show them off. But it is, it's common throughout the world to see that. And I think any of us that have ever seen a cat with a food item in its mouth know that cats don't eat everything. And they also like to play with food. And, you know, it's just kind of an outcome that I think we don't fully understand. So taking a look at your study, what possible recommendations maybe might come from this? Yeah, I, I think one is that we see that cats are really a global problem. This isn't just a, a specific location-based issue. It really is a topic that pertains to anywhere cats are allowed outdoors around the world. Uh, while our study did not look at management implications, um, we do know that there are several uh, aspects of both policy or management that can be beneficial both for the cats and for biodiversity. That includes um, having cats either indoors or having the opportunity if they go outdoors to be on a leash or what we think of as catios, so attached structures. So not really allowing them to freely roam. And we know lots of studies now demonstrate that an indoor cat has a longer lifespan it's going to have fewer parasites, lower levels of disease, and it's going to have a better quality of life overall. But aside from that, things like spaying and neutering cats. Uh, the big challenge really is that we have a pipeline of cats that go into the environment because of, you know, people may just not have time or money or they get tired of a pet. So Responsible pet ownership is really a big component of this. Finally, things like microchipping. Microchipping, just identifying a cat. Um, many people lose cats that don't want to, um, and the same with dogs. So when we have pets microchipped, it allows us to obtain them um, from a shelter or any other organization that might pick them up. Um, and. I think that most families really do want to have their cat part of their family and not lost or not know where it may go. So those simple things are pretty straightforward. Um, and I, sh you know, I should mention that a lot of spay and neuter options, there are lots of ways to reduce costs on that and microchips are in most cases under five or $10. Just for the record, I have a cat, uh, she stays indoors. Uh, about the only hunting she's doing is for her treats, right? She's, she's often very, very hungry looking for something to eat. It does make me think about her in terms of cats being nocturnal hunters. Late at night, I'll hear her, you know, meowing, running around the house like crazy. Um, is that what we typically see with cats? We do, but it, it does vary some. So there's actually now been a lot of work looking at when cats are active and how big of an area they roam over. And it really varies based on where they live in the world, if they live in a city or they live in a country kind of setting. Um, but cats do, they spend a lot of their day sleeping. And, and so they aren't really that active, moving around animal that I think maybe we view kind of in the media or just even if we own a cat. But you're right, cats are very active at night. Um, whether or not they're in a house or out in uh, the environment. And that is really just part of their uh, life, their, their natural history.
So beyond this latest study, let's uh, talk a little bit about your journey to Auburn, um, what you teach, uh, your key areas of research. Sure. Um, well, I came here about 10 years ago from the University of Hawaii, where I was a faculty member. Um, and in terms of my teaching, um, I've taught a variety of classes uh, here at Auburn and previously, and, and some of those are kind of one-time classes and some are things I teach every year. So I teach wildlife ecology, conservation and management, landscape ecology, a class called the Conservation Biology of the Hawaiian Islands. It's a field study for two weeks in Hawaii. And then um, most recently, I'm also teaching research methods. It's a graduate student class. And my research areas have really kind of are diverse. Um, I'm an ecologist by training. And most of my work and that of my students and colleagues is really focused on trying to collect data to affect management and policy. So I do a lot of work on invasive species and endangered species. But also do a lot of work with citizen science. How can we have individuals help collect scientifically valuable data? Um, I do a lot of work in urban areas, and uh, I still have a big place in my heart for working on birds. Very good. All right. So, what would you say to a prospective student out there who might have uh, interest in your area of expertise? Maybe be thinking about enrolling in um, the College of Forestry, Wildlife, and Environment. Yeah, well, wildlife and, and the broader area of ecology it really have big needs. The world is undergoing a lot of change, and we need people that are interested and want to do science-based management. And our goal is to train those individuals and can go out and work in not just Alabama, but here in the Southeast and throughout the United States in jobs that have a great deal of technical expertise. It's really good to enjoy or at least be able to work with other people because almost all problems that we deal with in wildlife and conservation have a human component to them. So science isn't just for those that uh, only want to sit in a lab or only want to work by themselves, but it's really an interdisciplinary and collaborative group and there's really a lot of opportunities in the world today for them. So is there anything else you'd like to add to to the listener, maybe about the study, maybe about Auburn as a whole. When we consider uh, the, wor the work that we're talking about today, cat cats are just one species and they're just one issue that we deal with in conservation, but it's a tractable problem. It's, a, it's an issue that um, is something I think all of us can work towards addressing. And it's also something I think is very relevant in everybody's lives. It's cats are something we know what they are, they're easy to see. And for those of us that may struggle with trying to feel like we're making a change in the world, things like keeping a cat indoors are a fairly straightforward but valuable way we can make change in the world that's positive for both animals and wildlife. And I think that we have a lot of opportunities like that here at Auburn for students and the public to be engaged with how we can make the world a better place through science. Well, thanks so much again, Dr. Lechik, for joining the podcast and enlightening us on all things that cats eat. We really appreciate it. I hope everyone listening learned a few new things and grew their knowledge of everything Auburn. Make sure to check back on our show for future episodes as we continue to look at everything that makes Auburn so special. War Eagle. Thank you so much again for having me. And War Eagle.